truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on The Blaze. I'm Steve Dace, Todd and Aaron here with you as well. Packed show for you today. 888-933-93 is the number. That's 888-933-93. Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program, D-E-A-C-E, if you want to know how to spell the last name correctly. Because if you don't spell it correctly, I have no idea where it will go. And I don't want to be responsible for that. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook, who does not like us, and tried to tell me this morning I had unfollowed my own page. All right. Uh, and then you can also follow us on Twitter, at Steve Day Show. No, seriously, they they tried to tell me this morning I had unfollowed my own page, and if I wanted to report my own page for the reasons why I chose to unfollow it, that that <laughs> happened. I'm not I'm not making that up. That that occurred. That sounds legit. Yeah, totally legit. You bet. Speaking of legit, our weekly prophet of woe and lamentation, Daniel Horowitz, a day late, but certainly not a dollar short. And certainly not short of your normal amount of woe and lamentation. In fact, given that he's had another day to stew, it might even be worse. I mean, better. All right. So that's coming up here at the bottom of the hour. And then a full hour of theology Thursday for you. Next hour, we're going to let you uh, watch if you're a subscriber here on Blaze TV or listen if you're listening to Blaze Radio or on the podcast to a presentation that uh, I gave alongside uh, Christian comedian Brad Stein at the recent Family Leadership Summit. All right, so you're going to get a chance to listen to that and Todd and Aaron will have a chance to react uh, and we're looking forward to that. But before we get to any of those other items... We must, of course, have Aaron let us know about what occurred, what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away? Brought to you by Breaking the Mueller Moratorium. Robert Mueller testified in front of Congress yesterday. Here's what happened. The president committed the crime of obstruction. You could not publicly state that in your report or here today. Can you repeat the question, sir? I'm not going to answer that. You're going to have to repeat that for me. I'm not familiar uh, uh, with uh, with that. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Can you repeat the last part of that question? Yeah. I'm not going to engage in discussion about what happened after the uh, production of our uh, report. Vigil is, in fact, obligated to provide what's being demanded by the regulation or statute, meaning you don't have any wiggle room, right? I'd have to look more closely at the statute. Well, I just read it to you. Not going to get into details. That's not within my purview. Well, uh, I... I can't get into who wrote it. The media reaction that followed was, well, watch this video from Tim Young. Frankly, I think you've all both been very kind. I think this has been a disaster for the Democrats, and I think it's been a disaster for the reputation of Robert Mueller. Far from breathing life into the report, he kind of sucked the life out of the report. Out of the report. I thought he was uh, boring. Um, he seemed lost at times. And there were times, there were times in the hearing when he was sharp as a tack. Uh, but we can't avoid the fact that there were times in the hearing that he was not. There were also times when it seemed like he was unfamiliar with parts of the investigation. But ultimately, it didn't land where the Democrats said they were hoping, at least for part one, on obstruction. As they were using him for clarity, he'd somehow fog it up. But he'd be um, directly- And how he would do certain things. And, and so look, on optics, this was a disaster. Bet Midler, your thoughts. Mr. Trump rapes us all with impunity. Now he's president. He got big time immunity. Mr. Mueller's a kind man, but he isn't a blind man. And Trump is a cancer on the community. 
Elon Omar, ladies and gentlemen. A lot of conservatives in particular would say that the rise in Islamophobia is a result not of hate, but of fear, a legitimate fear, they say, of quote-unquote jihadist terrorism, whether it's Fort Hood or San Bernardino or the recent truck attack in New York. Uh, what do you say to them? I would say uh, uh, our, our country should be more fearful um, of, of, of white men across our country because they are actually um, causing uh, most of the deaths within this country. We should be uh, profiling, monitoring, um, and, uh, and, and creating policies to fight the radicalization of white men. That video resurfaced yesterday. Accused pedophile Jeffrey Epstein was found nearly unconscious in his New York City jail cell yesterday. NBC New York sources say he may have attempted to commit suicide. And now learning Spanish today. Today's phrase is, welcome to America, avoid friendship with the Clinton family. Bienvenido a América, evitar la amistad con la familia Clinton. Project Veritas released another interview with a Google insider yesterday. This time it's Greg Coppola, a senior software engineer. He shared his thoughts about the political bias of his own employer. I have a PhD, I have five years of experience at Google, and I just know how algorithms are. Um, they don't write themselves. We write them to do what we want them to do. I look at search, and I look at Google News, and I see what it's doing, and I see Google executives go to Congress and say that it's not manipulated, it's not political, and I'm just so sure that's not true. He was placed on administrative leave following the interview. A nine-year-old girl was injured at Yellowstone National Park after being tossed into the air by a bison. My question is, who the heck were those guys running away? And finally, a website called Big Think released their top 10 list of the worst countries in the world to be a woman. The United States came in at number 10. North Korea is not on the list. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by Genesis 950. If you're thinking of replacing your carpets due to pet stains anytime soon and, and lopping off that hefty sum that that's going to cost, before you do that, you must give Genesis 950 a try. It's an amazing pet stain and odor remover because it breaks down the bonds of stains and odors so that they are gone for good, and its antibacterial component removes pet stains and odors from carpet all the way down to the padding. See, that's the... That's the pesky thing there. That's why when you, you clean your carpet, you vacuum it, and you're like, it looks fine. Why is it still reeking here? It's the padding, all right? And that's where Genesis 950 does some of its best work. It's also green, so it is safe for your family and pets. Hey, you can use this to clean the grease stains on the floor in the garage, the the, the Kool-Aid stains on the nice quartz and granite, granite in the kitchen in the bathroom, where I guess you wouldn't drink Kool-Aid in the bathroom. That would be weird. But there's some other stains there that you could clean with it as well. So if you want to give Genesis 950 a try, I mean, I once asked Noah, what are you doing in the bathroom? Well, Dan, I'm drinking some Kool-Aid. That's probably never happened, actually. And I would be very disturbed if it did. But that's another commercial. This is taking a turn, hasn't it? It's taking a dark turn. Actually, I'm I'm really doubting myself right now. Uh, But I don't doubt Genesis 950. If you use the promo code uh, BLAZE when you go to checkout, they will give you a discount. Discount code BLAZE at the website Genesis950.com. Again, Genesis950.com. To Aaron's montage we go. And yes, it's better to be a woman in North Korea, Iran, than it is in the United States. Again, totally legit. Yeah. The fact that they rolled out with that just goes to show you how stupid they think most 
of you actually are. At least they're consistent, you know. There's not a whole lot of, of white radicalized men in North Korea and Iran, so there you go. Here's by my... the way, white males don't commit the majority of the murders in America, by the way. We're not <laughs> we're not supposed to tell you who does because that's considered racism. Okay. So apparent but 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 white males do not commit the majority of, of murders in America. That's that's not true. The, the paradox of where we live right now, the fact that they ran that story is either a guarantee that the Democrats are going to get crushed or they're going to win. And I can't tell which one it is. <laughs> I have no idea. Are you crazy like a fox or just crazy? Yes. Is that what I hear you saying? Yes. Yeah. You have me doubting myself right about now. So Aaron mentioned at the beginning of his montage that we were going to lift the moratorium. Uh, you, if you were a part of the show yesterday, we, di- we didn't talk about this at all. And that was by design. Uh, we had a conversation uh, as a team uh, before we left uh, after the show on, what day is it? Thursday. So Tuesday. So after we left uh, t- on, and, and you know went our separate ways following Tuesday's uh, shift, uh, we had a conversation beforehand about how to handle this. And we all came to the agreement that we didn't anticipate anything new was going to come out of this. It would just be a replay of his statement, which was a replay uh, of the report and both sides would get the talking point they want. There would be either no exoneration on obstruction so the Democrats could continue with their rock and roll fantasy uh, and the Republicans would get um, no Russian collusion, right? That, that, and, and, so, and then we said we would change our minds if we thought something we didn't know came out of this. Not something... Not breaking news. It had to be something we didn't already know, right? That was the conversation we had men on Tuesday afternoon. So I'm the one that made the decision. I've not actually even spoken to you guys yet. So I don't know what your takes are. And and that's on purpose because I want to find out in real time. I unilaterally made the decision last night that we were going to lift this moratorium because I do believe, at least I think I I have learned something I didn't already know. What I think we learned and, and what's, been, what's been the most, if I can just get personal here for a second, I think there, there's, I'm, I'm really skittish about instantly destroying people despite whatever their resume had on it the day before they crossed paths with Donald Trump or they crossed swords with Donald Trump. And I know there's a huge market for this. I just, I have no interest in competing in it. Uh, I, I've, I've got to, whether this ends tomorrow or 20 years from now, I, I, I got to be able to sleep with myself at night, look in the mirror, you know, give my kids better reasons to hate me than that. Okay. I, I just, we've never been interested in competing in that market. Um, and, and I have been on a personal level very hesitant to just forget everything Robert Mueller has done to contribute to this country, which frankly, if you were to line up the resumes of Robert Mueller and Donald Trump prior to January of 2017, it's a blowout guys. It's not even close. It's probably still not even close, but he's been president for three years and that's more debatable. Certainly prior to him taking the oath of office, the resumes of Robert Mueller and Donald Trump was Alabama versus the Citadel. Okay, it, 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 it's not a contest here. We're naming the score at the half. On the other hand, I have never seen something in, like what I've seen Trump provoke people to do in my career. 
I mean, we've watched, we, I remember Bush derangement syndrome. That was the thing when that got the phrase that was coined when I first started in this business. And, and then it was Palin derangement syndrome. I mean, we have seen partisans lose their minds, you know, in, in a partisan frenzy. But to see people who otherwise were known for their restraint and decorum, I, there, I don't think there has ever been a figure in American political history that has provoked more people to lose their damn minds, like all the way lose their minds than Donald Trump has. So while I was not eager to jump onto, let's just destroy Robert Mueller. Why? Well, he's investigating Trump. I'm going to need a better reason than, than that, but thank you. Um, I also recognize, I can't, I can't ignore the, the long list of folks whose sanity is no longer certain. I mean, my literary agent used to work with Nicole Wallace in the Bush White House from MSNBC. He's like, I don't know what happened to her. I mean, she was, you know, always a little bit more moderate than I was, but we got along great. She was a good soldier. She served capably in the White House. We worked together every day. She's damned insane. Just damned insane. Like, not even for like clicks. Just lost her mind. Lost her mind. Just, just says stuff that is just like, which earth is this in the multiverse that you're on, okay? And, and there's, a, there's a long laundry list of this. So I always wanted to also leave open the possibility that we would just have to one day put Robert Mueller's name on it. I wanted to also wait. You know, we were on the air when this was going on. So I wanted to wait where I could collect my thoughts after, because let's face it, let's face it. I think we know most people working in the media on either side had all their stories written before the cameras rolled on Robert Mueller at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. Do we, do we disagree on that front? That's largely true, yeah. Most yeah. of them were probably written. Yep. I wanted, so I wanted to wait and kind of compile my own thoughts after watching some of the day's events um, in, in the rearview mirror. Now that, now that everybody's cast their narratives out there, here's, here, here's what I learned that I think is new. Because I've heard, one of the takes I've heard a lot, and I understand everybody's frustration with Congress. It's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm totally fine if, if you want a Viking funeral to place. Um, but there's this take out there that says, we, well, no, we, never heard, we didn't learn the truth. Nobody was interested in the truth. See, I think we've kind of had the truth all along. I think we did learn the truth. Truth is, Donald Trump is not a good person. He is totally fine associating with questionable and shady people to get what he wants in life, which makes him not unique at all as hashtag Clinton body count is the number one trend that Twitter is recommending to me as we're broadcasting right now. All right. He's, it's not unique. Rich, powerful people, not all, but often will use whatever shady means they can to stay rich and powerful. Have you guys heard of this story trope before? Is this a new breaking thought to you? No. no. Tale as old as time, Miss Lansbury. However, there is your typical run of the mill. I get to operate in the gray area, color outside the lines because I'm more powerful than you. And what are you going to do about it? Plus, I can, plus, if you don't like it, there's things I can do for you to get you to like it. And then when you fall out of favor with me, Michael Cohen, have, enjoy your prison cell. This is not new. Not saying, did I say it was right? No. Nope. Did I say it was right? No. Nope. No. Am I endorsing it? No. Nope. Because I'm going to stay. There's this woman, Becky Chapman. 
I, I could literally tweet really proud of my my girl Anna for graduating or put it on Facebook. First reply is going to be something from her. You know, you can't trust any of these Republicans in Trump days, right? I mean, she, and I'm only mentioning her because she's like omnipresent on my Facebook page. I only reason I haven't banned her is I just, I'm kind of curious to see how long she can keep this going. I've, <laughs> I've moved from annoyed to impressed with the level of stamina. I, All right. Yeah. There's like, 10 people who swore they stopped watching us like a month yes, ago because they're, they're so sick yep. of us, but they haven't. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> nice job, okay, guys. Yes, thank yep. you. Thank you. And then next month, it'll be a new 10 people. I just yes. want to warn you now, right? Yeah. That never ends. That's part of, that, that goes with the job. So I'm not endorsing that. I'm just saying it's the reality of the situation. That's the world. That's reality. The problem is the Democrats are part of that same reality. Many of their leaders are. And so- they don't, they don't have any credibility to bust Donald Trump on he uses shady people and operatives to make scandals go away and to get his way. I mean, it, it, just Google all these names. We can find the information easily. So they needed to make him something more, something that was more than your run of the mill political corruption nobody likes, but has kind of just made their peace with it. They can't do anything about it. He's to beaten anyway. They needed to make him like Lex Luthor, the sinister man, the guy who can't strain a cohesive thought together in a tweet. The guy who's kissed the North Korean fiend's ass all the way to about an hour ago, he tested a new ballistic missile. I, I, but I was promised this was a brilliant strategy. Yeah, I'm shocked. Okay. Shocked, shocked kissing the ass of bullies. Hasn't worked yet. Keep trying though. Might keep working at some point. Might, might work once, but never. So that's the guy. That's the guy who the left was mocking for hashtag Kofefi last year at this time. He's Lex Luthor, who plotted out with Vladimir Putin the mass fraud of the entire American election system. And you probably think Jeffrey Epstein really tried to kill himself last night, too, in that prison cell, right? Until I see 8mm Zapruder film of the, of the, of the suicide attempt. Uh, I'm not buying that. Why don't I buy it? Because I have an IQ above 19. That's why I don't buy it. I'm a sentient being. That's why. Full motor function. Don't buy it. Thank you. And the, and the narrative, and, and that was the narrative they needed to craft. And what you learned, you, we've known this truth all along. Donald Trump's not a good person. He's also not capable of any kind of multinational global plot. Guys, you don't know what he's going to say when he swears in his new defense secretary today, okay? You ever read the guy's Twitter feed? You can tell when he's writing something and when it's his staff. It's obvious. But yes, he orchestrated an entire plot that also um, never could document change to single American. <laughs> we already knew the truth. You did. You knew the truth. It's just not good enough for some people. I do think we learned another truth, though, yesterday. This is the new thing I think we learned. That video, the, the video yesterday of Robert Mueller, go and even compare it to the video of when he read his statement when his term ended as, as special counsel at the Department of Justice. What was, what was that, like a month and a half ago? Yep. It looks like that man's aged 15 years since then. That was a month and a half ago. That, that's not a sinister mastermind engaging in a silent coup up there that I saw yesterday. What I saw yesterday is one of two things. 
and I'm not sure which one it is. The first option is a once formerly great man who really believed Donald Trump was some kind of existential threat to the system and that he was going to take him down and then got into this operation and realized um, he's neither the symptom nor the solution. Much of the system that Mr. Mueller has served ably, capably, and impeccably his entire career is every bit as corrupt as he thought Donald Trump was, if not worse. And it broke him. That's one possibility. The other possibility is that's just a man way past his prime and wasn't running his own investigation wasn't writing his own report. And now maybe you know why he didn't want to take questions when he gave out that statement a month and a half ago and just wanted to read a statement and get the hell out of there. And that it was the partisan attorneys on his staff who were using him as their front man, impeccably reputed stooge for their own actual coup attempt. And they got caught. They got caught because Fusion GPS is a clown show. And that's, it's one of those two things that we saw up there yesterday. Because a man that has earned the reputation Robert Mueller has, who has done the things he has done, doesn't just walk in at the end of his, at the end of his, of his public life and just say, F it, Ferris Bueller. That doesn't happen. You don't, you don't live this long, disciplined life and then on your final act where your legacy will be remembered going forward. After protecting that reputation all those decades, you don't just walk in there and just take a dump on yourself. You only do that if you're broken by, by, the, by the experience that led to this moment or um, you're, you're over the hill. You're Admiral James Stockdale. I, the, the stuff I saw yesterday, I, I was expecting to say, who am I? Why am I here? The, the line Trey Gowdy had yesterday, apparently we've introduced Bob Mueller to the Mueller report. He had to, he had to retract numerous, several things yesterday. I want to say, no, it's not a blowout out of proportion, but several things that were like really important. He had to go back and clarify and correct later. Ask yourself this question. The clips that you have seen, does that look like the guy that Ronald Reagan said, hey, you're my U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York. Go get the mob and put him in prison. And, and, and stood up with the Camp Gambino crime family, issuing death threats against him and his family. And put him away forever. Does, does that look like the guy that did that to you? Because it doesn't look like the guy that did that to me. That looks like Brett Favre trying to come back and play again in the NFL now at whatever age he is. That, 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 there's no, that, you, that doesn't look like a guy that survive, could survive one day in Vietnam, let alone walk out of there with an armful of battlefield accommodations. And, and I think you think, and, and I think the Republicans came to the determination by the end of the day, it's the second option because the tone changed as the day went on. They were, I mean, they had, they were grilling him. A seasoned prosecutor is getting cross-examined like a, like an, a bad outtake, uh, you know, for, for a Perry Mason episode. By the end of the day, I thought they were pulling up, like they were taking a knee. 
Like they had run up the score and they were like, you know, I mean, at this point, just tacking on more touchdowns. Like they felt empathy for him. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll look at Mark Levin's uh, Twitter feed. I mean, Levin has been ruthlessly critical of Mueller for months. Another former guy who's worked in the Department of Justice. And by the end of the day yesterday, there, there was like empathy in Levin's Twitter feed. This is a feeble-minded man. Almost like this, wasn't, this isn't the arch nemesis. This isn't the enemy. This isn't who we've been pushing back on all this time. Don't know what he is, but he's not, that's not the guy. That's not the guy running this show. And I think that probably explains also why he publicly said, I don't want to testify. Remember the story that came out Wednesday night or Tuesday night that he wanted his, his aide to testify with him? And all of conservative media went ablaze about, well, now Mueller's trying to change the rules at the end. And I don't blame because it, it kind of it would look like that, really, right? Sure. Now do you, now do you see why he wanted his yep. aide there? The dude, he needed somebody to hold his hand. That guy, that... What we learned yesterday is either he got into this for earnest reasons and whatever he, whatever he saw, witnessed, broke him and, he's, and he tapped out on this long ago. Or he was just used as a proxy for his reputation and is a, is a, is a man way past his prime. That's, what, that's why I lifted the moratorium today because I think that's something new that we learned. Gentlemen, your thoughts. Well, it, I think it can and probably is a combination of both. I agree, it, it could be. Uh, I've been stuck in nothing burger land for a very long time, and I said long, long time ago that Robert Miller got involved in this thing uh, and ultimately saw, oh my goodness, there's, this is a clown show on every level, both within the Trump camp, my own investigation. I don't think he necessarily got into it um, for uh, the right reasons uh, I, in terms of uh, just wanting to be an arbiter of uh, peace. I think you're right about that. I think he may have gotten into it for all the wrong reasons that a lot of other people, they just have these knee-jerk reactions that Trump must be guilty. Yep. And I think I, I think he has grown to be a bit ashamed of himself. I don't think he's lost... I don't... I, I'm going to... If somebody comes and says, like, this guy's on his way into dementia, but uh, fine, but I'm not going to just assume that. What I do think is at the age of 74, at the end of the year career, forget 74, any age, it takes a Herculean amount of energy to defend a Rube Goldberg machine with con how many moving parts, 400 pages of moving parts, that at least does ultimately end to finding the truth? How do you defend a Rube Goldberg machine over 400 pages that goes nowhere? I just think he's ashamed of himself. I do think he's gassed. And I, I, I think that, um, he, yeah. Ashamed of the system he devoted yeah, himself to? Yes, and I think all of do us... You, I, I, I can't possibly believe that he didn't know what, what Fusion GPS was. Oh, no. There's but, no... But it certainly looked believable the, the way he communicated that thought yesterday. Maybe... I, I have a hard time believing that since they're only the genesis of this entire story. This entire story came from them. All right? But he, he seemed... I mean, if that if that was a lie, it's it's the most convincing aw shucks reverse psychology lie I've ever seen. Even though I find that hard to believe. I, I think you know in the movies we see Harvey Two Face as a villain. Uh, I think a a real Harvey Two Face is what just we saw happen to Robert Mueller, and he's an attorney. 
He's just, it's actually somebody who's broken. And that's actually what happened to Harvey Two-Face in the Batman movie. He's just broken. Yeah, I, I, I watched the first 10 minutes of this, the, the first session or whatever yesterday morning, and it was what we, what we saw basically the whole day. I mean, you, you kind of feel bad for Robert Mueller. Having said that, just because he is not, uh, he's not, you know, the sharp, sharp, as you would hope or expect the guy leading this, you know, year long, uh, year plus long investigation. He's not as sharp as you would hope that he would be. Having said that, though, I'm, I don't really care what his motivation was for doing this yesterday, what his motivation was for getting into this um, in the first place. I, I'm not here to parse or defend or... Uh, try to understand his motivations for do for anything that Robert Mueller does. That sounds like Robert Mueller's responsibility to me. He's a public service, so that's that's that. There's that, and then his public service, the rest of his career, that is fantastic. Um, his motivations, his mindset, it's irrelevant to me. What is relevant to me is this: at the end of this over almost you know over a year and a half now, or almost a year and a half investigation. Nothing that was investigated or nothing that was the basis for this investigation was true as far as Trump colluding with the Russians. Now, the rest of what you said, Trump's a poopy person, Trump's this, Trump's that. Yep, we're granting all of that. But this investigation just went nowhere. Daniel Horowitz will join us, uh, take us inside politics. We'll talk actual policy next. Stay tuned. You know, a low credit score can keep you from getting a lot of the things that you want in life. Uh, a new job. There, a lot more employers are checking credit ratings nowadays. Uh, a credit card, uh, a car, even a house. And, and that's not all. A low credit score means that if you do get credit, uh, you'll get higher interest rates than people with those better scores. So you don't have to keep getting denied or getting those higher interest rates. You can kickstart your credit comeback today. Just call the specialist at creditrepair.com. Uh, they can help you work to repair your credit and improve your score by removing inaccurate negative items like late payments, charge-offs, and even collections and bankruptcies. Uh, here's the number for your free credit evaluation. 1-800-501-3199 is the number. 1-800-501-3199. And when you call, you'll get a free credit report and score, and you'll find out what creditreport.com can do to help you improve it. Creditreport.com helps you work towards a better score so that you can get the better uh, possibilities and options in life. The evaluation, credit report, and score are free. So give them a call at 800-501-3199. It's not available in Georgia, Mississippi, Ohio, and South Carolina. But if you're in any of those other states, give them a call at 1-800-501-3199. Or visit credit report, creditrepair.com. Daniel Horowitz is here, our weekly prophet of woe and lamentation to take us inside politics. Good to see you, my friend. How are you? Great to be with you, Steve. You hey, know what? Yes. I figured I'd just put conservative on the background because everyone forgot what it means to be one. So nice. We'll just have the perpetual reminder. And we're off. We're off, ladies. It didn't take long. <laughs> I didn't have to prompt him. I didn't have to ask a question, nothing. I said hi. And he went there already. I love it. Let's go. That sets the tone. I, I want to spend the bulk of our time talking policy, the budget, and the border. But I, I would, I, I would be derelict in my duty, given what I said about what we saw yesterday, I, uh, with with Mueller's testimony, to not pick your uh, prodigious brain. 
because we had a moratorium on this on the show yesterday. We decided that as a staff, we were we were going to ignore it unless something came out we didn't already know. All right, and and I think something may have. I I I, I think. We learn that Robert Mueller is a once great man who thought he was going to nail Trump, that thought he was an outlier and a threat to the system, and then got so broken by the how when he got in the side of it and saw how terrible the system he served was, that it just broke him. And he had no interest in defending his legacy, because you don't just voluntarily crap on yourself like he did yesterday after you spend decades meticulously pr- protecting your reputation. You just don't do that. No man does that of sound mind and body. No man does. So it's either that or... You know, I think you saw the Republicans kind of pull up as the day went on, almost like a team that takes the knee at the end of a football game because scoring more touchdowns would just be humiliating somebody. We already know who won. I I think our colleague Mark Levin came to the realization that I'm going to articulate that I think is the second option, which is that's no mastermind. That's no guy orchestrating a coup. That's a stooge. And that's a guy who the partisan attorneys on his staff, they were trying to hide and shield their own coup attempt behind his impeccable reputation. I find it hard to believe he didn't know what Fusion GPS was since they're the origin of this entire story. But it, I mean, he certainly seemed believable when he said it, even though I find it hard to believe. Um, I thought Trey Gowdy's line yesterday that it, apparently we introduced Bob Mueller today to the Mueller report. It, I think that's something we knew we learned yesterday, Daniel. But do you have a big picture takeaway for us before we move on? So, so Steve, obviously, I, I did not watch it at all because I had the moratorium before you did, and I have no interest in that. But the, for the same reason I have no interest in it, I don't think Mueller had interest in it. I heard your monologue there and your conversation with Todd and Aaron, and I think this was not a scenario where a Hall of Fame quarterback comes back at 60, 70 years old, and obviously, you know, he just doesn't have the mojo anymore. I don't think that's it. I don't think he's half senile. I think it's the other thing you said um, that's quite clear that, you know, what do you do? I I work very hard every day dealing with 50 million policies, and then I come home, and my seven-year-old and my nine-year-old are fighting over craziness. I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) What what do you want from me? I, I, I really think that's what it was. I mean, this is a guy whose heart is in terrorism law enforcement, kind of what some of us try to do every day. And they're like, hey, how about that latest soap opera? So he just stood there like, yeah, no, tell me, tell me more. Which which uh, code of, of DOJ? Oh, it's in it's in the report. Oh, OK. I think he just didn't didn't care. I don't think he's senile. You think he punted on the whole experience. You think that was a protest, a bit of a protest is what I hear you say. I think it was active. I think it was a strategy. I think he did it on purpose. Um, there, there's no other way to explain it from whatever, everything everyone says, he is playing with a full deck of cards. Um, he clearly had his stuff together with this. He just realized there, there is no way out of it. What are you going to do? And and frankly, I actually think it worked. I think if you are a Vietnam war veteran hero, uh, one of the most celebrated prosecutors in American history, how do you get through this without going down in flames in terms terms of your long-term legacy? Yeah. I think he did it. Republicans aren't going to be ticked off at him. Democrats are no longer going to champion him, but they can't really be upset at him. So nothing. And I think that was the desire, desired result all along. Well, I, I, I agree that what – I mean that's why I laid it out as one of the options because I think it's possible because I – I, I didn't see a, the guy who stood up to the Gambino crime family's death threats 30 years ago 
and said, I'll see you in hell, you know, after you serve the rest of your life in prison. Did that strike you as a guy with that kind of medal that you saw yesterday? Because I, I didn't see that kind of eye of the tiger yesterday. No, and, and, and he's a young 74. I mean, he's not senile. He's just not. Um, he clearly was chosen to put this together. He clearly, whether you agree with what he was doing or not, had it together uh, throughout the last two years. I think he just had enough of it. And you know what? I think he represented a lot of people because both Republican and Democrat candidates will tell you. Amy Klobuchar admitted this in your home state of yep. Iowa. Yeah, nobody's asking her about it. People just don't care. Yeah. This is a D.C. Twitter bubble issue. It really is. So let's move on. and let, One last question on this, uh, the politics of it. Could it be argued then, based on what you just said, is Nancy Pelosi a winner here yesterday? In that this, if, 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 the, if the narrative of he didn't do collusion, but, but he might have been an, a guilty of obstruction of justice, if that would have continued, that could have absolutely divided her own caucus over the impeachment issue, right? But if, I mean, if Trump's going to take the, the budget and all the substantive domestic policy battles off the table for the next two years, the only thing Democrats really had to do up there for the next two years, other than just perpetually campaign against Donald Trump, was impeachment, which is a highly divisive issue, even in her own caucus. Is she, whether she even recognizes or not, who knows, on a given day with her, if she's sentient, but is she kind of a secret winner here politically then that this is obviously off the table after what happened yesterday? Beyond just, beyond just the craziest of their crazies, this is, this is off the table for them in any main, mainstream fashion. No, th- th- that's a very trenchant point, Steve, because I think that, you know, as much as she obviously wants him to be impeached, she's smart enough to recognize that impeachment just doesn't sell. It worked against Republicans in the 90s. It certainly would work against the Democrats here. All the polling shows that. I do think she was somewhat of a loser in that it was overkill. In other words, sure. the optimal scenario outcome for her would be that on the one hand, Trump is damaged enough that they could litigate against him in the court of public opinion during the campaign, Mm -hmm. but then stop short of having the crazies distract with impeachment. I think this killed the issue permanently. And I think conservatives won in that sense that now that he's exonerated, so to speak, hey, could we actually score some points? So let's get to scoring some points then on policy, my friend. Um, I was reading something you were pointing out about the administration's latest reaction to another attempt at one of these phony baloney universal federal court judge injunctions from made up nowhere, uh, uh, Timbuktu. And, and, and it, it mirrors what he said a week ago when we all thought he was actually going to defy the courts and they were leaking out to us that they were going to. And then he didn't, not, not only did he not defy them, he said he would never even think about defying them, not, no matter what. And he seemed, the administration seemed to reiterate this again today. They, they, they seem to say, if you and I are reading this right, that these judges can do to the American people and their duly elected president absolutely anything they want. And there's nothing, at, there is no point that the White House will say no. So when, when they decide that Trump's assets over there at Trump Tower have to be redistributed to some uh, blank hole country, we, is he just going to start writing checks? I mean, there, there's nothing, nothing. Apparently, there's no, there, there is nothing. I think we learned that about 30 minutes ago, Daniel. There's nothing. Well, I, I think we learned that over the last couple of months. But, but he, here's what's important about this case. This case was important for the remainder of his presidency, not just the border, not just immigration, not just this particular case of, you know, properly defining asylum. 
the problem is this. You all, we all know that nothing will ever pass Congress. Um, you know, there's a bunch of Teletubbies in the Senate. Uh, they have a hundred to zero majority there. I mean, <laughs> there's there's nothing going on. Um, Trump will get nothing done. Uh, you can't have government shutdown, so budgets are out. Uh, you can't do anything be- uh, executively because the district courts. You can't even just merely rescind what Obama did because the district courts. So if he were to have any meaning, any purpose in in getting reelected to a second term, yesterday is when the rubber met the road. Why? He needs to delegitimize this false notion of forum shopping and nationwide injunctions, that the ACLU could take any policy, no matter the standing, no matter the issue, no matter the statute, no matter the Constitution, no matter the own court's precedent, and just say, you can't go to the bathroom today. Um, I don't like what your air traffic controllers are doing and joined. Not that they have a lever that they could pull that does anything anyway. They have no power to enforce it. Um we all agree on every issue. If he's going to have a presence, he has to push back. What happened yesterday is he got the best case ever because asylum regulations are either at the border or they're in D.C. Any regulatory change that's sued in court is taken where? The district of the federal district of D.C., right? That's where it is. Mm-hmm. They took it to D.C. and then they took it to San Francisco. San Francisco is neither at the border nor in D.C. The court that would have had proper jurisdiction, not that anyone has jurisdiction here, said this is nonsense. How do you how do you get standing to sue for seven point eight billion people to come? What what, what are you? What's he threw it out? Mm-hmm. He had the perfect opportunity to say, I have a judge, not only any judge, but the one with the proper jurisdiction saying this is nonsense. You cannot do it. One other point, Steve. No one knows this. The very district that they wound up going to, the Northern District of California, in 1996 said that the president could deny entry to anyone he wants because such denial is not just delegated authority from Congress, which it is, 1182F, but is inherent in, quote, his constitutional authority to control foreign affairs. They had that opportunity, and all you got to do is pull that thing one time. And the House of Cards falls, and he could have a presidency on the remainder of the issues. But let me tell you, they're exploring their options on appeal now. So what I just heard you say is essentially, from a policy standpoint, the Trump presidency is basically pointless unless you're just sitting around waiting for federal judges to die so they can be replaced. There's No, but it's, 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 it's just it's pointless that. beyond no. that. No, Steve, it's worse than that. Here's why. You started off saying that any judge could say anything, but it's worse than that. It's any judge can say anything, even if the 93 other. Right. Even if the good, even if the quote unquote good appointees get in there, they still find their one person from Nancy Pelosi's, uh, you know, next door neighbor judge in universal injunction. All other federal judges suck and you have to do what I say. Well, I guess we have to do. That's what your point is. We're going to whoever whatever they say we do, no matter who it is, period. There's a whole history behind this guy, John Teeger. Um, You know, he mandated funding for. Uh, castration surgery. Uh, he donated to Obama. This is a real flaming leftist. And, and Steve, just again, the litigants here aren't even potential asylum seekers. They're the actual groups like the ACLU. They're saying you're making us expend more effort and time and we might have less revenue uh, because there's going to be fewer fewer ref- uh, asylees. 
it's like Blaze Media getting standing in court to say, hey, you know, you guys are just doing too much stuff. I mean, you know, Steve and Daniel and, you know, uh, uh, Todd and Aaron, we're we're too busy trying to cover all these issues for our readers and, and listeners and viewers. Uh, th- that That's literally what this judge did. And that's it. And the administration there, 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 fully genuflected and ankle grabbed fully. Fully. And it's on the same day that they're that Trump is urging them to sell out his final budget leverage of his presidency. So between the two, there's nothing left. And I say that with a lot of remorse. I want this guy to to, to succeed because we have no choice. True or false? Donald Trump is no threat to the system. He is a threat to their narratives, and that absolutely has some value. And we have reaped some political value for that. But in terms of the system itself, he's no threat at all. I I really don't mean to be mean here, Steve, but I think Jeb Bush would have pushed back more than Trump does. Now, I mean, obviously, you would have to find an issue you feel strongly about, Jeb, which there aren't too many. But what I'm trying to say is some of it is not his fault. It's because he's perceived by the left as being the next coming of Hitler. So they respond so viscerally and start engaging in civil disobedience against just basic functions of the executive branch. But aren't they aren't so, we letting them set the precedent now no matter who we elect? Say yes. next time it's say we get your boy Ron DeSantis president, who's all of yep. Donald Trump's policies but like it like people actually like him, okay? And he's got like a 70% approval in 50-50 Florida right now. Say you get him president. If we set the precedent that that's all they have to do is Hitlerize anybody we elect and we can't push back on them at any level, if we set that precedent here, they'll just do it again and again and again from here on out, won't they? Steve, this is what concerned me all along. I understand and appreciate that Trump is confronted with this judicial civil disobedience that no other president has been confronted with. That literally he does the most lawful things, often mandated by law, and a court will just, you know, violate all legal norms and do whatever they want. But once that happens, and it happens 50 times on your watch, you are the chosen man. This is your time to rise to the occasion. You have no choice but to be the one to push back against it because you're exactly right. That has now set set the precedent that no matter what we expect, a court is going to come in and do whatever they want, and that's legitimate, and somehow they have that power. And frankly, I don't know how you win enough elections to change that. Because the left will always have enough courts, especially yeah. on national. If you're telling, if you if you let your opponent way. have a weapon that has without any direct comeback, uh, deterrent, accountability, um, you you you're never going to beat them ever. And, and, and that's one, what you're giving thing, them. If you have another minute, I got to add. You might say, "Oh, eventually the Supreme Court will overturn it." Well, a lot of times we see they agree with the left. But even when they don't, here's the deal. Yeah, the lower courts are just ignoring the Supreme Court now. They ignore the Supreme Court the same way they ignore ignore the executive branch. So there's five lawsuits against the travel ban that was just upheld. That Trump already won at the Supreme Court on that case. Yeah. Yeah. There's no limit. Daniel, good to see you, my friend. Thanks for joining us here today. Appreciate it as always. God bless. Take care. Daniel's appearance here on the show brought to you by our friends over at realestateagentsitrust.com. If you are looking to get into the real estate market here this summer, take advantage of that booming real estate market. You want to make sure that you find a real estate agent that you can trust, one that has a marketing plan beyond just, here's my algorithm sheet and let's do another open house. Uh, One who actually returns calls, 
uh, and is has you have a rapport with because this is a stressful and also relational process, and it's it, it's odds of being successful are a lot higher if you do have that rapport with your agent, and they have the same with you. And then also somebody who has a track record that you can document of being successful. Uh, in the real estate industry. And that's where Real Estate Agents I Trust comes in. No more agents who talk a good game and then don't deliver the desired results when you need them the most. This isn't about finding clients for agents. This is about finding an agent worthy of having you as a client. If you want to find that real estate agent that you can trust, just go to the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. Let's get some reaction to what we just heard from Daniel. Aaron, I'll start with you this time. Go ahead. It's the same thing we hear every single week with Daniel. I, I, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to poo-poo it, but it's the same thing every single week. It doesn't make it any less true. We are we are in a system that will push back at any little threat. I think when when Trump was first elected, I think he back then was a threat to the system. I think it's pretty clear at this point that he is not. He can be. I think he still can be, but that's going to take a lot of people on shows like this pushing back against him, and I don't see a whole lot of willingness to do that when it matters the most. Mm. We'll come back. Hour number two, Theology Thursday, is next. Stay tuned. We are back with Hour 2, live and on demand, on the blaze. Steve Dace here, Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and you. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. You know, millions of Americans are fighting every day and living every day, settling every day with what's called chronic pain. And this is pain and soreness in the body that, has, uh, that, that, that is caused by inflammation. Did you know your creator made your body to push back on inflammation. I mean, how did these, in more agrarian times, these farmers work hours upon hours upon hours in the fields before there were tractors and combines? How did they, how did they do these things? You know I mean? How, how did we work on assembly lines for hours and hours and hours before there were unions in OSHA to say, you should have a 15-minute break every now and then? How did we do that? All right. Well, the problem is for for a lot of us, um, we're missing those things that help to increase the body's ability to push back against inflammation. And that's where Relief Factor comes in. Four key natural ingredients, a formula devised by doctors, yet it's 100% drug free. So all natural remedies here. Now, if you have an injury, you need a doctor, maybe a surgery, you might need medicine. I don't know. But this is about inflammation. Unleash your body's power to push back on the inflammation in your body that's causing that chronic pain with Relief Factor. I'm a daily user of this product, and I swear by it. Couldn't endorse it more enthusiastically. And right now, they want to give you a shot for a dollar a day with their three-week starter kit for 20 bucks. 20 bucks for three weeks just to give it a shot. What do you have to lose? Except maybe, finally, hopefully, the pain. Go to relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. So let's get to it. Theology Thursday, recently at the Family Leadership Summit, uh, I joined up with uh, Christian comedian Brad Stein to give a presentation to the sellout crowd, and we thought it would be fun for Theology Thursday this week to share it with you. Here's part one. Greetings to uh, many of you. Uh, It's been a while since uh, I've seen a lot of you. Um, the good news is, uh, my belly's gone down even more. Uh, the bad news is, uh, 
I'm now losing my hair to go along with that. Uh, we have this conversation in my home a lot now. Maybe some of you guys, this will um, relate to you. Where my wife, in the middle of watching something, she'll suddenly look over at me. Amy will ask me, hey, what's wrong? And I'm like, nothing. And she's like, well, what's, what's with that look on your face? And I'm like, that's my face. Um, that's, that's what my face looks like now. It's what I bring to the table. So when you try to go into the world of broadcasting with a narrow road message, uh, you're gonna get some battle scars on you. And so what Brad and I wanna do today uh, is, is to help you to learn from our mistakes. How do we do what we believe? Right, this all sounds great in here. And then we're done and we have to take it out here the rest of the year. What does that look like? Okay, and, and we want to share with you four key points, and I don't like taking notes, but you might want to write these down as we go through this if you get the chance, all right? The, and, and we want to help you to become, you know, what the scriptures call the, a son of Issachar, meaning people who understand the times and what it is you are to do about them. So as somebody who has toured nationally as a comic, like Brad, multiple times, to somebody who is in national media like myself, we have a lot of experience with the pagan world out there. And so we're gonna to try to give you four key pointers in how to take what you are learning here today out into the culture and impact it for Christ, okay? Here's point number one. I can't claim that I made this one up. I'm totally stealing it from the great evangelist D.L. Moody. This is one of his best lines. When you're winsome, you win some. When you're winsome, you win some. Laughter is a devastating tactic. When I first started on WHO, I was constantly getting complaints, even from people who agreed with me that the show was too harsh. And so one day, my, one of my mentors, Jan Michelson, took me aside and said, this needs to have more humor. And so we started doing these devastating parodies. And the first one we did was a Planned Parenthood. And they were running commercials in my show. I took the music. I took, we, we had my producer emulate the voice. It sounded just like the commercials Planned Parenthood was running in my show. And it was like all devastating racist quotes from Margaret Sanger. And it was, it was harsher, more vicious than what I was saying. And the same audience that complained ate it up and they loved it. All right. There's an old Irish Catholic saying. What the devil hates the most is to be mocked. We don't use humor enough as a weapon, which is why I brought along with me today a man who knows how to wield such a weapon. Please welcome my good friend, Brad Stein. Oh my goodness, that was amazing, thank you. Keep it going for Steve Deese, come on! Come on, he's a radio guy! I am excited to be here. This is what I have been waiting for for years in sackcloth and ashes. Lord, Father, please, please someday, New York, London, England. He said, no, 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 Des Moines. <laughs> this is my kind of people. I look out and I see the lineage of what made this nation great. I see the blue collar, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, Americans that made this the greatest nation of all time. And let me tell you why I love Iowa, because you hunt, you fish, and you don't apologize for it. And that's why I love Iowa. That's America. That's America. I am sick up to here with the political correct. Don't shoot the animals. They might get their feelings hurt. 
This is Iowa. You don't even pretend to be animal rights activists. You people see the bunny, shoot it, eat it, make a hat. Oh, that's a cute bunny. Yeah, that sure was a cute bunny. That a snake? Nope, that's a boot right there. Put it on. Shoot it, eat it. You got a head left over? Hang it on your wall. It's too harsh. No, it's America. That's what we were. Even driving through Iowa was unique to me. What kind of people are you is what I want to know. I learned to drive in Los Angeles, California. People think LA's hard. LA's easy. Eight billion miles of freeways. One sign. Maximum speed. 65. Good luck. Go! Not in Iowa. You have way too many signs on the freeways. And they're never helpful signs. They're always warning me about something that's about to go wrong. Weird phenomenon that I thought finished with the pilgrims. But you've adapted. You've accepted it. And that's why I love you. See, I'm not used to a sign warning me about an animal that might leap out. Ah! Get a zoo for crying out loud. First time I saw a deer cross, I'm like, why do you let them on? If you have deer, jump out on the road. That's not put up a sign. That's put up a wall, folks. Dig a moat. Get a stun gun. They invented barbed wire. Use it. You people have deer jumping out on the road, and you act like that's normal. That's normal if you live in a cartoon. What do they do? Jump out in top hats? Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Dancing deer in Iowa. Then you have the weird signs. The cold weather signs written in some cryptic shorthand. Apparently only Iowans can decipher bridge ices before road. I'm like, okay, what do I do? Where's the rest of the information? You're all past me. I got heat on, snowshoes, a walrus. Help me. The bridge is going to do something. Look out for deer. My favorite, watch out for tractors. What? What? I'm no farmer, mind you, but don't they have like a designated, I don't know, field they're supposed to be in? Iowa farmers just run wild periodically. Party! Hey, Clem, grab your combine. Let's go on the freeway. Woo, slow down. Got this baby up to three. Let's go race the Amish. Come on, let's head on down. Let's go. That's right, Iowa. When all those fails, make fun of the Amish. Why? Because they have no electronic recording equipment to prove I said anything. That's when you know you're going slow. <laughs> when the Amish guy behind you is going, come on! <laughs> what am I saying today after we've had a wonderful time? You've had amazing speakers, brilliant speakers, politician speakers. You've had uh, people from all walks of life that dignify your point of view, that happens to coincide with the point of view of the founders, that we cannot and will not survive as a culture if we are not a religious people. All of the founders said that, including Franklin, including Jefferson. You cannot have a stable republic 
and not be religious people. That's what they said. That's what they said. So what Steve and I have tried to say is, how do we compete and communicate with a world in America, the culture that's owned by progressives that have all the media? We have failed miserably as Christians and conservatives when it comes to the arts, miserably. We have to reach out to people in a way that they are watching, especially millennials. And so what God did with me, he said, I'm gonna make you a missionary to America. And that you are not going to use comedy to make people laugh. You're going to use laughter to make people think. So what Steve has done, why I love his show and admire him so much, because he's a Christian, he's conservative, but he's really smart. And he makes you think. We can compete with the ideas that are making and reshaping America because we actually have the most important component, the truth. Tell them, Steve. Well, let's talk about the truth. I know we have this notion in our culture today that you can have your own truth. Um, there's no such thing as your own truth. But you do have your own story. And one of the things I found when, when you're doing as, as much enemy media appearances as I've done in my career is that the relationship connection is key. Right now, we don't have a relationship connection with this culture. And it's, it's because we're not doing the second bullet point here, which is to tell your story. You know, I'm a kid born to a 15-year-old mom. She found out she was pregnant with me at 14 over Christmas break in 1972. Christmas break, 1972. What was going to happen a month later? Roe versus Wade. Now, she's 14 years old. She suddenly has a decision to make. Some of her friends have had back alley abortions. Maybe she should do the same thing. She decides she can't do it, that she can't kill her baby, and so my mom decides to have me. Even though she lived with a single mom, twice divorced on what they used to call the South Side Bottoms here in town. A part of town that they used to say was for the white trash that the city was ashamed of, and so they renovated it when they rebuilt Sec Taylor and turned it into Principal Park. They got rid of a lot of those neighborhoods several years ago. That's where my mom was from, the other, literally the other side of the tracks. Going, going to Graziano's sausage store was like fun to them. We, we were on government cheese when I was little, food stamps, ADC. I remember being on reduced lunch at Horseman Elementary here in town. How elementary here in town? And kind of being ashamed of that, you know, back before we used to brag about how many people we had on food stamps, okay? I had a, you know, my mom married a guy out of the Navy who was very abusive. He was abused by his dad. He passed that abuse on to us. He thought Robert Duvall's The Great Santini was a model for fatherhood. On a given day, I didn't know if Dave was going to come home and beat the snot out of us or take us to Cedar Point. And, and so sharing this history, which is my story, I met my wife in a hookup chat room on AOL dial-up before they invented Tinder. And, and now she's going to Liberty to get her second master's degree in biblical counseling, and I'm talking to people like you. That's not what we thought was going to happen that day on the hookup chat room, okay? <laughs> but this is what, this is, you know, what you intended for evil, God used for good. All things work together for the glory of God and for those called according to his purposes. You have a story to tell. 
Tell your story. I know some of you were born in the perfect Christian home and you don't ever remember a time where things were any different, there was dysfunction, but post-sexual revolution, you're a unicorn. Many of you in this room have all kinds of things about your past, maybe even your recent past. Don't be ashamed of them. God has delivered you out of them. Share that story. Be like a guy like a Mike Lindell who sits up here a few hours ago and says, if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be smoking crack right now. That story that you have, you need to share that with the culture at large. Because right now, they think that we just want to debate them ideologically and intellectually. And so since they control all the ideological and intellectual sectors, they just call you a racist, misogynist, homophobic, xenophobic bigot, and the debate is over. We are not a systematic theology. We are more than that. We're a relationship Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a relationship in and of himself. The relationship of God who puts himself into human form to come here with us, Emmanuel, God with us. He went to the bathroom like we did. He slept like we did. He was thirsty like we are. Think about that. The king of the universe lowering himself to such a degree. Why? To have a relationship with us. To what degree will we take and go to have a relationship with them? That's the question. And if we don't establish that relationship, we're not going to win any debates, and we're going to lose this culture, and they're going to turn on us like they already are. Which brings us to point number three. You've heard a lot of talk for many years now about two Americas. Are we in two Americas? No, you're not. There are two separate Americas, two separate countries. There is a cold civil war happening in America today. There is the left America versus what's left of America. That's what you have. And the left America, a company like Nike, who says we don't want to put Betsy Ross flags on our shoes because it, it ticks off a guy that can't get a contract in the NFL for the last four years. Do you know what happened to their stock price last week? Do you know what happened? Skyrocketed. They gained billions in stock value from that controversy. Why? You're not their intended audience. Like Russian vodka in the 80s wasn't made for you and Cuban cigars in the 80s weren't made for you. Those were to foreign regimes. If you liked them, great. But they were, meant, they were part of a foreign country. The left America is an entirely different nation. I interviewed for a job at MSNBC once with their executive producer. She sent me down in a room. One of the things she said to me after having me on their network over 50 times, she said, you're the first Christian I've ever met that made me think somebody that's halfway intelligent could believe this stuff. I asked her, how many Christians have you ever met or known? Silence. They just wanted to observe me in a natural habitat. They had no idea what people like us were like. They're in another country. And I think the reality of this is they're not concerned about offending us with their truth. So I think it's only fair to love our neighbor as we love ourselves and return the favor and no longer be offended by sharing the truth with them. Oh, keep it, keep it going for what he just said. Come on. This is important stuff. It's important to speak. Thank you for the applause. And by the way, I, I got to say this. I wasn't going to, but I'm going to. Thank you for the applause. And I'm going to tell you why. It's a tradition. It's a tradition. And we need a tradition. All great nations, if they've survived, had to have great traditions because it's the wisdom of the ages. And we have to keep them and pass them on and... Applause is a tradition, and we need it. And I'll tell you why. I, I, I like that tradition. You, you can do it again. Yes. yes. 
See? I know that was tacky, but I have no self-esteem, so I'm okay with it. You see, he's on radio, so when you clap, he never hears it. <laughs> yeah. So this is a big deal for him. He's yes, never it done is. it I'm this like, way. Oh, that's what that sounds like. Totally amazing. That's Thank why you. I won't go on radio, because I need all the narcissism I can get. But anyways, <laughs> I love it because it's tradition, and we need it because I don't know you. And you don't know me, so applause is our way of shaking hands. With the added bonus, I don't have to touch you people. Because I don't want to. That's an odd tradition that's never been thought about, never been thought through. But normally, we don't touch strangers. But nobody, you never stop to think it, question it. You never stop to wonder if this is good. You never broke it down. But you need to, in this day and age, break down what's being thrown your way. We don't touch strangers. You might be sitting next to a stranger right now. Nobody ever said, well, I've never sat next to you before, so scratch my back, would you please? Thank you. So how do you like the summit? Yeah. Wait till we get to the holy kiss. Okay, there you go. It's in the Bible. What am I getting at? Laughing at ideas. Laughing at traditions. Why? Because it does something we need desperately in America. Gives us community. Gives us a congruency. We all laugh. Believe it or not, progressives laugh. It's demonic, but still, it's... No, I don't... <laughs> they laugh. They laugh at the same things we do, okay? The Christians laugh at the same things that atheists laugh at if it's not, you know, something that's blue or dark and we don't feel it's appropriate because it gives us a human connection because we're all kind of the same. We're intrinsically sinners trying to get better, trying to redeem culture, but we don't know how. We do as Christians... They don't. So that's why I, I love the fact that you guys uh, 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 came in and, 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 and participate because it matters that you get out into the... See, whatever we say here is irrelevant. You got to get out there and pass it on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is the key to it. And that's what I've tried to do as a comedian because I'm a Christian and a conservative. Do you hear me? I came out on stage and said, I'm a Christian and a conservative, which is why when I die, I'll be stuffed and mounted and put in the Smithsonian under the why he never got his own sitcom display. (laughs) (laughs) They don't want me. They don't want me because they didn't know that there is other ways to see the world. It's so crucial to them not to allow other points of view to even be heard that when they hear it, they're befuddled. There's other ideas out there. I don't know what to do with it. And what I really love is they don't understand that the capital that they are utilizing to think about justice and equality all came from Christianity. They're using our capital, but they're sucking all the life out of it because all progressivism is parasitical. It has no value in itself. It sucks out the good stuff, leaves a shell, and pretends like something's still good. Mm. They don't know any different. He knows. He came late. What the heck have you been? (laughs) We were worried sick about you. (laughs) Where's that guy? We don't know. (laughs) But here's what I love. I love it when people that hate my faith, and now they can do it without even having to apologize for it, Because remember, if you are bigoted towards somebody that you call a bigot, somehow you're excluded. How'd they pull that trick off? That's a good one. Whoever calls you a name first wins, I guess. But I love when people who hate my faith use it, try to use the virtues of it against me. You Christians aren't supposed to offend people. And I'm like, well, then you know nothing of my religion. 
because we're not allowed to maliciously offend people. Not allowed to think I'm better than you. I'm not. Not allowed to think God likes me more. He doesn't. Not allowed to think that I'm somehow superior. Trust me, the only reason I'm a Christian, it's the only religion that would have me. <laughs> Promise. I, I tried to join the other. Can I join you? No bacon. I'm out. I'm out. What <laughs> kind of God would deny me a BLT? I'm out of here. But when the truth offends you, that's your problem. Even Christians are not under any obligation to water down truth. The truth is supposed to offend you. That's how you know you don't have it. In the Christian idiom, it's known as conviction. Mm. People use it all the time. Why have we lost cultural ground? Because we don't teach traditions anymore. You know what kids are growing up with now? Trends. Not traditions, the wisdom of the ages. Not something to tell about who we were as an American. Let's pass it on so you can feel good. Just whatever's the latest thing. Oh, I just follow trends, which means I don't think for myself. I don't follow trends, never have. That's why I have no tattoos. Now listen. Listen carefully. If you have a tattoo, I'm not judging you. Okay? I'm not putting you down. I'm not saying I'm better than you if you have a tattoo. I just stopped drawing on myself when I was four. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I never looked at my skin, says, looks good. You know what it's missing? A parrot. That's what I need. <laughs> Look, we got a few of the millennials have snuck in. What if there's a guy here with a tattoo? He's going to get his feelings hurt. <laughs> if you don't know what this is, it's called the snowflake dance. Oh, my God. <laughs> what if there's somebody here with a tattoo? They're going to get their feelings hurt. That's my point. What has happened to America? We can't even take a joke. Let me make something very clear today. If you have a tattoo and you get your feelings hurt because I joke about tattoos, you don't deserve a tattoo. <laughs> oh, my goodness. See, that's what they've, blown. they've ruined everything. Tattoos used to be safe for special people, usually people on leave. And drunk, of course. <laughs> they have ruined the whole experience. Nowadays, people wake up and go get a tattoo. It used to be you woke up and discovered you had a tattoo. <laughs> hey, where'd this come from? And why am I in a dumpster? That was all, was all about. I actually had a guy. See, I, the reason I don't like tattoos is because you can't erase them. See, what I like at 10, I'm not going to like at 20. What I like at 20, I'm not going to like at 40. This kid, how old are you? 18. I thought so. He kept looking up here. I said, what is going on? And I realized <laughs> he's 18. This is the kind of television generation we have created right here. Hey, 18, I'm going to change your life. See that guy right there? I'm right here. <laughs> Get your money's worth, son. Kid is like freaking, make him go away! Make him go away! How did he get out of the box? What? What am I saying? I'm saying this. Number one, I joked about tattoos. Anybody got one? Yeah, you got a tattoo. See, he didn't need a safe space. 
Didn't need a trigger warning. I was joking about it, and he didn't weep. You know why? Because he's a big boy. You see, as much as the humor allows us to laugh at things, it's crucial. We are even losing the ability to joke about stuff in America. You want to talk about losing liberties. When you can't see sarcasm and satire as a beautiful tool that's been used for ages to hide a, hold a light or a candle or a mirror onto culture and mock the king without getting your heads cut off. That's the comedian's job. And if you do not stand up as an American, I don't care if you're an atheist in here and you just came in for free nuts. <laughs> He's right here in the front. How did he know? How did he know? What the heck? He's a prophet. I thought I infiltrated. What is the point I'm making? Listen to me, and I'm glad you're laughing. Laughter is a gift from God. It allows us to experience joy that only humans experience. It's a, a transcendent gift given to us to remind us that we are special creations in, 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 in the universe. And I love to bring laughter, but it's more important to me that I bring revelation and inspiration. It's more important that I use the tool God gave me and the tool that he gave uh, uh, Steve to realize that our strength is not being radio personalities. My strength isn't being a comedian. It's being communicators. We have to communicate ideas, and we cannot ever let somebody censor us simply because they call us a name. If you allow that to happen, you're inviting tyranny, and you're liberally giving away your liberties without a fight. It's an embarrassment and it's a disgrace to those who have come before us and fallen for us to have the right to be here right now without somebody putting to a gun to our head and saying no. I'll go even deeper. Steve? It's part one of our presentation. That's myself and Brad Stein recently at the Family Leadership Summit. Part two coming up here in a matter of moments. But first, it would be really weird if you kept a stop uh, light at your kitchen table telling you when it was time to stop eating. The good news is uh, your creator put one in your body. Uh, it's got a long name. It's called OEA. Here's all it does. It sends a signal from the gut to the brain to let it know when you're full and you can stop eating. Unfortunately, for various reasons, for too many of us, that signal just ain't uh, as strong as it needs to be, and that's where Riduzone comes into play. All Riduzone wants to do is put the OEA back in your body. There's not a bunch of chemicals. You turn over the label. You'll be able to pronounce pretty much everything there. There's only three ingredients. It's not stimulants, caffeine. It's just that OEA. And if you want to give it a shot, go to RidUZone.com. Use my name, Steve, as a promo code to help with your craving control, and they'll give you a special offer at RidUZone.com. Could be the missing link in your battle against your bulge. RidUZone.com, promo code Steve. More Theology Thursday coming up here in a moment. Stay tuned. Back here on a Theology Thursday here, live and on demand on The Blaze. By the way, if you are listening to us today on demand, if you would mind leaving us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice, we would be ever grateful. Thousands of you have done this for us already. Thank you, because the more of those we get, the more the algorithms who rule us all. You know, we, we were worried about Skynet. Instead, we got algorithm. 
The algorithms that rule us all like those reviews and then give us more opportunities to find more likes, which we like because we like to earn livings and pay bills. Okay, so that's where you can help us as a way of saying thank you for giving this to you uh, via the podcast for free. All right. Uh, if, if you don't like the show now, don't lie. But if you do like the show, like totally embellish how much you like it. Okay. Uh, so thank you very much. Any of your podcasting platforms will do. Uh, and can you do more than one or do they, they filter those out? I've never asked that, Aaron. Can you do, do more, more than, than one? one review? Yeah. Um, well, you know, let's do an experiment. Um, go, if you've already left a review, try to leave another one. Yeah. I, but you didn't hear it from me. Yeah, I didn't know that you, I didn't know if you, am I not allowed to say that? Is that called like gaming the system or something? I don't know. You know, if we were doing, uh, if we were doing Arbitron, then yes, you, you, you yes. would be in a lot of trouble right yeah, now. I don't, I don't know what the rules are for, for podcasts, but let's assume there are none and just keep pinging us with good reviews. Let's get to part two of uh, the presentation I gave recently with Christian comedian Brad Stein in front of a sold-out crowd at the Family Leadership Summit. The final point we need to talk about here today is there's been a major political paradigm shift in America. And, you know, um, we've been told, the pagans have been warning us, um, well, you know, there's a radical demographic shift. America's going to be less white. And we're like, well, we're the body of Christ. So we've kind of started this whole diversity thing long before you guys co-opted and hijacked it and started lying about what it means. Okay. But there has been a major political paradigm shift in America, and it has nothing to do with ethnicity or race or uh, really even generational uh, because there's some polling that just came out uh, a couple of weeks ago that showed that millennials are rebelling against what I used to, what I once dubbed the rainbow jihad, because they're tired of being told that if they have any counter opinion, or if they think it's wrong that a guy finished in 290th place in the NCAA track meet last year, decided he was a boy who needed to get pretty and become a girl, and ended up winning the national championship, that somehow they're supposed to accept that. That's, that's the new frontier of tolerance. And, and, and so you're seeing, even in the younger generations, they tend to be more principally pro-life than the older generations tend to be, particularly in our movement. But here's where the major political paradigm shift has occurred. And this is going to be hard to hear for those of you that remember the era of the late, great Lee Iacocas of the world, okay? Because for every Mike Lindell that comes in here and speaks to a group like yours, there's 10,000 others that are like what's going to be next up on your screen, all right? We live in Ephesus. Now, what made Ephesus as a unique challenge to Paul? See, Christians have been dealing with the fusion of politics and paganism from the beginning. From the time Jesus went to meet Pilate in the back room, we have been dealing as a movement with the fusion of paganism and politics. When, they, when the Romans put the sign over Jesus' head, what did it say? King of the Jews. Meaning they, were, they thought in their minds they were executing him for the crime of sedition, that he was the king of a foreign rival government. That's what they were thinking merely politically. So the fusion of politics and paganism is nothing new. Those of you that have been involved in political activism longer than I have been, you've been going up against this for decades. Here's what's new, though. In Ephesus, there was a unique challenge when Paul arrived. In that culture, the very market economy was based on a specific paganism. And so Paul wasn't just threatening, um, you know, the, the people who stroke the beards. He wasn't just threatening the theologians or, or, or the local synagogue. He was threatening people on a very basic carnal level, their pocketbooks. Because if it turned out that Artemis and Diana are false gods, 
they're all out of jobs. The whole economy implodes. Nothing's more of a basic threat to people than their own material possessions. And in the culture we're in today, did you guys, how'd you enjoy Pride Month? Did you like that Pander Fest? That go well for you? How many of you bought those rainbow Oreo cookies? And no, I'm not making that up. They literally put out rainbow Oreo cookies. As it's, 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 it's amazing to me to watch 2.5% of the population claim they're incredibly oppressed while the entirety of Wall Street bends over backwards, pardon the pun, in order to curry favor with them. And you just went through this with Panderfest. That's what Pride Month has become. And so what you're seeing now, the local, the local rainbow jihad rally, Wells Fargo is one of the big sponsors. Everywhere you go, corporate America is mobilizing in favor of the new paganism. The, see, the new progressivism is really just the new paganism. That's all that it is. And we're going to have to be far more strategic, Brad, about how we're going to confront this because it used to be guys like Bob Vanderplatz in other eras were able to go to the local corporate community who didn't like leftists either and progressives either because they viewed them as a threat to their bottom line. They might not have been pro-life. They might have understood a lot of our values, but they thought the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so they'd still give organizations like this money. They don't do that anymore. I work in the office with Bob. I can tell you stories, all right? Unless they are true believers in this cause, meaning they're, they've had a transformation like a Mike Lindell, they're not cutting any of you checks. And in fact, they're actually supporting the people trying to impose the paganism on you. This, I think, Brad, has been the biggest strategic change we have to confront as a movement. We can't trust, we've lost, it used to be, I almost wistfully wish we had Gordon Gecko back. Greed is not good, but it's gooder than let me use my wealth to impose paganism on you and fund every last demonic cause I possibly can with my own riches, because that's what's happening right now. Yeah. yeah, and of course, 18 has no idea what he's talking about. Because you grew up in a wussified America. And it's the wussification of America that's killing us. It's the wussification of Christians that's killing us. This idea that somehow if you stand up for something, you're unchristian. Well, you know, Jesus was so sweet. Think about how you picture him. How do you picture Jesus? Well, he was like, he had long flowing gowns and he wore a, a, a sheep around his, his neck and he just never put him down. It chafed him, but he never put it down. And Jesus was so sweet. See, nobody ever taught you table tipping Jesus. Remember that guy? Look at him. No, I'm just here on a work release program, actually. <laughs> Why does this Bible you see? You don't know what I mean, son. You're 18. It's not your fault, son. It's not your fault. We left you with something that was not sturdy and strong. See, when I was your age, and it's going to make me sound old, we had a thing called a boy's bike and a girl's bike. <laughs> then again, when I was growing up, we used to have a thing called a boy. <laughs> And a girl. I did not know in 2019 that was going to become controversial. But that's the new world we live in. The people that believe that they are the progressives, which always implies, by the way, that whatever they deem progressive is what matters. Somebody is ruling you. Somebody is ruling you. Make no mistake. 
All the fight you have is between truth and lies. Not Democrat, Republic, not progressive and conservative. Truth and lies. Jesus said he was truth. He said Satan was a father of lies. That's it. That's our battle. And you cannot confront a lie, defeat a lie, or have any kind of influence against a lie unless you're speaking truth. But sometimes you might have to do it winsomely. Sometimes you have to take a back door. You know why? Because they've locked every stinking front door in America to our people. They've locked every one of them. But there was a time when they locked the front doors to people that needed healing. They just ripped the stinking roof out and brought a guy down that away. What do you think comedy can do? Where is Christians? Where were we? Where was our daily shows? Why am I people? I've watched Christians and conservatives fund, <laughs> fund people to go try to get a, some seat somewhere. Just give them a couple million dollars. They failed, but at least we gave it to a guy we believed in. Why haven't you given funding for, for entertainers who happen to be Christians and, inter, uh, 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 and conservatives? It's not for me. I'm not pandering you for that. I'm just saying, why don't we give it to the arts where maybe we're actually speaking to people? in a unique way. Thank you, that one guy. <laughs> you found him. You found the one, yes. Could, could anything have better summed up the apathy in the Christian church than I gave you marching orders and one guy's going, <laughs> where's the nuts? What am I saying? I've got a lot more comedy I can do. I've got a lot more social commentary I can give, as does Steve. We're doing the best we can. I'm not blaming you. You're here. You showed up. This matters to you. But if you're not good communicator like we are, that's our gift. Help us communicate. Find what you're good at and help us facilitate what matters to you. Be like a democratic republic. Vote for people that can go forth and speak your ideas. We'll leave you with this, uh, this thought here today. Uh, several years ago, I was at National Religious Broadcasters and a gentleman who was uh, retiring at the American Family Association and I were having a conversation. And um, he mentioned to me that he, had a, he was really struggling in his calling. Because he, he looked out at this culture, this is the only culture in human history that was funded by, or, or founded I should say, by direct inspiration of the Christian faith. Every other culture Christianity has been in, we've been the marginalized. We had to come from the outside in. We've not been the insiders. That changed here when the pilgrims landed at, at Plymouth Rock. And he said he was struggling with this notion that he had this, this heritage and this legacy from his faith that established this country that he felt this calling and he spent his adult life with AFA fighting for. But yet he also recognized, Father, forgive them for they, not know, they know not what we do. They're doing this because they don't believe the right things. And, he, and I learned from this conversation with him an important distinction, and I'll leave this with you today. We're not, how do we fight this battle? We have to change hearts and minds, and we have to do it while we're defending ourselves against the people that are attacking our values at the same time. Don't try to save America. Try to save Americans. Try to save Americans when we turn sinners into saints. The culture will take care of itself. 
For God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but so that through him the world may be saved. That's our charge. Thanks for being with us today. God bless you. So that's the presentation that uh, I gave with Christian comedian Brad Stein recently at the Family Leadership Summit. So gentlemen, uh, I've had enough to say. Well, I had enough to say. I wasn't saying it now. I was saying it on tape. I will turn it over now to you to get some reaction. Todd, you want to start? Yeah, well, it's the running theme there is, you know, we've been marginalized. Well, why? Uh, It's for a couple different reasons. But on one end, uh, there's a lot of Christians out there who, who... want to live in the margins that they, they they don't want to go out there they want to be set apart they feel a little too good about being set apart uh it feels like it's a little too much work to get into the scrum uh, that that's an us problem ac- across the board uh it's not our calling uh on any level uh the other issue is those who uh just want to be part uh, of the party, all of its uh, accoutrements uh, from um, entertainment. Uh, they, 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 they really don't want any line of, of demarcation at all. I mean, between, they don't want to be viewed as a bigot. Let's, I don't want to go down a path. I'm just going to be a basically nice. It's the basically, I'm going to live the basically nice person life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you know, that's not remotely our calling either. Uh, it, it's uh, paradoxical, which means it's not supposed to be easy to figure out exactly where you belong, and we don't all each have the same calling. Uh, but we need to be in the mix. It, it's it's an unavoidable part about being claimed as a Christian. And I think Brad Stein's notion of, like, this is the only uh, religion that would have me uh, bears some fleshing out in that respect. It, it, that being said, you, you don't have a choice of how you're supposed to live that out in many respects. You've been called out. There's a uniqueness to your calling out, perhaps, but you have been called out. You need to act on it. It is the Gandalf line. It, 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 this is our, it, we don't have a uh, choice uh, in the time that we are born in, only a choice in what we do with it. Um, and that, that choice there is just a yes or no. It's an assent. It's really more, if we really calm ourselves down and pay attention to the time we live in, the gifts we've been given, uh, what we're supposed to do is far easier than many of us think we are. But we kind of like to live in that gray area and think, God, won't you just speak to me? He has. It's just your job to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Aaron. That's well said, Todd. And really what we just listened to was a call to missions, I think, for the mm-hmm. church. That's that's really what the the the, the crux of that conversation and that um, talk that we just heard was. And I really appreciate the underscoring from both of you guys, but you especially, Steve, of the relational aspect. We talk about the relationship aspect of our faith, that it is a a relationship. I mean, God himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as he said in the talk, but it is this relationship. And as I say often, it's not a science, it's not an art, it's a relationship. It's something completely different. Well, the same goes true for our fellow fellow human beings who may not have the grace of— God in their lives who may not uh, have come to salvation uh, yet, um, that 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 bears the same for them as well. And I've, I think as as Christians, especially in this country where we live with a lot of largesse, um, we fall Christians fall in between two extremes. Uh, it's it's either I uh, I I don't want uh, I don't want to have really anything to do 
with people who don't look, sound, talk, um, believe like me, or um, I think, you know, the only thing to do is to go overseas and only associate with people who don't look, think, talk, act like me. Something, something like that. I'd say most of us are probably on the, on, the, uh, on the former end of that spectrum. But it's fascinating. Me and my girlfriend are, are reading this book called Radical by David Platt. You know who David Platt is. He's yeah. the pastor who, who prayed over uh, Trump. President it, Trump. Yeah. yeah, a few years ago. And I, would, I don't know if you guys have read that. I would recommend that you read it. It's a, it's a good book. It's a very challenging book, um, especially as, the call, uh, as, as it pertains to a call to missions. But how many of us – and the, something I've been thinking about is how many of us, though – really have been in a situation where we are totally dependent upon the Lord for something that we need. And in this country, now, I grew up a pretty good life, actually. In this country, that is very few and far between, Hmm. at least in my life. That's one thing. How many of us just take the risk to talk to somebody who doesn't look, speak, act like us? That is a huge challenge. For us, I've seen a church. I would say the church that I grew up in, and it's fallen apart now. It was in a community, in the in the most um, poor county in the state of Iowa, Decatur County, Iowa. And the only way that that church was going to add to their number was if they went out and ministered to the crackheads, to the meth heads, to the people who were going to be locked up uh, sooner rather than later to the people who smelled bad. And I don't think that church ever really did that. And I count myself in that as well, because that happened when I was in high school and I probably knew better as well. That didn't happen. And that, that's a rural church, guys. That's, but that's a picture, I think, of what's happening to Christians. And we just are filled either with fear or loathing of the other. And that cannot happen. One of the ways to get over that hump is to use humor to attract people to us, as you pointed out. But um, but this missional aspect of the church, even in our own communities, even if it's not going overseas, like David Platt, I just mentioned, that's his big idea, go overseas. Even if it's not overseas, I, I, that missional aspect of each and every one of us, that it's not an option to be missional as a Christian, it's missing. Several years ago, a, uh, a pastor in Little Rock, Arkansas, who appreciated what I did to help Mike Huckabee in the 08 uh, caucuses, sent me a, a book he had written called The Church of Irresistible Influence. And in it, he asks, if, if most of American churches went away, would we be missed? Hmm. Ouch. Very convicting. Or would they eagerly rezone the land? Very convicting. Uh, everybody, have a great day. See you tomorrow. Until then, John three seventeen. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.